to 22. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. This passage deals with the rich young ruler. And I was, as I was going through my own personal devotions this week, this, this text really gripped my heart. Um, as this is my last sermon here with you, uh, time I've had a wonderful time myself and my family have had a wonderful time here over the last five months. It is often hard to know what message from God to leave you with, to part you with. Um, in my time here, I've met many warm and very welcoming people. And here in, in this village, I, I believe there's a rich and wonderful sense of community, something that is all too rare these days. I say this not to flatter. I say this but to explain why this text is the text I'm preaching from here this morning. It is a text that deals with someone who is outwardly respectable and religious, but inwardly does not know the Lord. I preach this message this morning not to say that I believe everyone here is lost or anything else like that, but to lovingly warn of the danger of mere outward Christianity, of a mere outward profession of religion. It is something that is probably more dangerous here than it is in most parts of the world, I would put it. A real and present Danger. So as we think about these things, let us read God's holy and infallible word. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Our title for this morning's message is Religious but lost, religious, but lost. What does it mean, if I said to you, what does it mean to be respectable or even the word religious, religious? 
So often it can mean simply going to church. Saying you are spiritual when the conversation comes up at work. Or simply being described as moral. Moral. I say this because for much of the world today, the standard of what it means to be religious or respectable is actually quite low today. In fact, to be this way, religious or moral, not necessarily even a Christian, will bring trouble at work or in other situations today. But in the days of our text, in the days when Jesus is speaking to this young man, to be religious and somebody seen to be respectful and respectable, it was far more respected than it is today. There was no doubt as well much sin, much sin, much hypocrisy that can go with mere outward religion. But it was respected, respected in the eyes of the community, respected in the eyes of men. Now this of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. I don't want to say that that is a bad thing. We should be at peace with our neighbors where possible in a way that honors God first and foremost. But having said all of that, we can have our own dangers just like anyone else can have their own dangers wherever they live in whatever situation they find themselves in. Even in Kalibaki, where many people in this area, not everybody, but many people go to church. This can present a particular type of danger, a possible danger. To follow some for whom outward religion is seen to be enough. Where you begin to believe you are you're a good person. Or at least you're not too bad. And it, it, it's, a, it's a thing we can slide into, all of us. Where you think you do not deserve the wrath of God just as much. As the heathen not raised in a Christian background. Jesus met such a man. He met someone who had no idea. No clue he was in trouble with God. He did not ask this man to pray a prayer. Or just to simply accept he was a sinner. He challenged him to the very of his problem was this outward religious man outwardly respects Christ in many ways and we'll see in a second in our text was he willing to follow him truly follow him this man had no idea he had a problem but Jesus exposed the problem and why did he do this he loved them he loved them verse 21 tells us He loved them. Dear friends, out of a love for you and for your soul, I must also warn all of you as Christ did this man. And dear friends, our Westminster Catechism tells us that the purest churches are subject to mixture and error. 
the most holy churches on this earth, have people who are not born again. I want you to ask yourself, as we look through this text, could you be like this man here this morning? You may have been raised in the truth. You may have been catechized. You may have a far better memory of the scriptures than I have. But could you be religious but lost? The first point we're going to look at is respectability. Number one, respectability. Verse 17, now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This section comes right after Jesus blessing little children. There's something wonderful about young people being interested in true and saving religion. It's wonderful at any age, regardless of what age they are, but it is, there's something special about youth being excited about the truth. Today, in many places, we can struggle, can't we, to get people to be interested or care about the things of God. Here we have one coming along to Christ. He's described as a young man in Matthew's Gospel. He's described as a ruler in Luke's gospel in this, in a different account of this same event. In Mark, he's described here as running. It's very dramatic language that Mark uses. Not so much in Matthew. But here he comes running, kneeling, and asking Christ. I want to ask you here this morning. Can you imagine this picture? This Young ruler, we're told he's a ruler in Luke. He's kneeling, he's, he's not just going through the motions outwardly, at least, he's running toward him, kneeling and asking Christ this question. If we knew nothing else about our story, wouldn't we all be impressed? We'd all be impressed. Mark's account is very much what I would call confrontational. It may seem at times dramatic. A bit different to Matthew. Matthew's really saying, here is the Jewish Messiah you've all been waiting for. Mark is confronting them with this. You are wrong on your view of the Messiah. You are wrong on your view of discipleship. And here we have this, this challenge, this emphasis on the challenges of Christ. Here is the challenge to someone who is outwardly respectable in any way that can be gauged. He wants to learn. He has no delay. He's not making excuses, at least outwardly. He asks of the true God. He sees Christ as good. He even asks about eternal life. And how excited would we be if we met such a person, even if they were raised in the church, who was excited about eternal life, asking about these things, asking serious questions. And we may ask ourselves, is God working on this person? 
Now, if this happens to you, I'm not saying that we're to be cynical about it. But realize that outward religion alone is not enough. Jesus does not leave him there. He asks probing questions to show or expose the nature of his trust in him. In verse 18 it says this, So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. And this is what preaching and teaching is to do. To ask probing questions. To ask ourselves the nature of our own faith. So many people, moral and outwardly religious... People who attend church but not really born again will say that Christ is a good teacher. Do you see Christ as a good teacher here this morning? I pray that you all do. Yes, he he surely is. He is a good teacher. But do we know what that means? Jesus is not just Allowing the word good to be very, very general. He's being very specific by what he means of good. No one is is good but one. God. He is narrowing it down to one very careful definition of what it means to be good. Moral, good, upright, worthy, perfect. Not in just the loose sense we tend to use good. Narrowing it down to God alone. He's basically saying to him, is that the reason you call me good? Are you calling me good in the sense that God is good? This means if you truly see Christ as good in the way he is, you see him as God. And seeing him as God, not just as a good philosopher, as many people will see him. Not just some good teacher with some good morals, like many people in the world may see Christ. But the ultimate and perfect standard of what it means to be good. Of moral uprightness. Of perfect conduct. There are over a billion people around the world who profess to be Christians. The world is full of superficial professions of faith. Sometimes we'll see it with celebrities. Living immoral lives. But yet treated as Christians. Because they profess to follow Christ. Professing that Christ is good outwardly is not enough. This is what this text is teaching us. Outward respectability good in its own right, is not enough to save. Dear friend, have you examined your faith? Do you have a saving faith that will save your soul from the wrath to come? So we've looked at respectability. Number two now, we're going to look at responsibility. Responsibility. And if we see Christ as God, 
then there are responsibilities to that. If we see Christ as God, if he, if he is your king, then that has implications and bearing on your life. He reigns over you. Verses 18 and 19. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And in, in other words, Jesus is saying to him, You say that I am good. Only one is good, that is God. Here's what it means to be good. Here are examples of what it looks like to be good. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. These come from the second table of the law. And you can summarize this down to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of God. You think I am good? Here's what it looks like. You think I am God? Here's what it means. If you think I am God, here's what it means. So many claim to love God, but rebel and openly hate this law. They may say, oh, I love Jesus, but the law of God is a stench before them. Dear believer, what do you think of the commandments of God? And it's the same question, what do you think of God? Do you think these are wonderful things? Do you think it's important to follow them? Now some may think that this is the only way. I must also put a word of caution in here. Some may think that this is the only way to share the gospel. Sometimes people look at this text in this way. When somebody claims that Jesus is good, we should not treat them as uh, guilty, until, uh, guilty until proven innocent. Or that we should interrogate everybody we meet who professes Christ to us. This is not the right way to take this text and apply it to our lives. Christ spoke in various different ways to various different people, in various different situations, and he's far wiser than we are. We need to use prayerful wisdom and how we speak to various different people in various different times. But there will come times when asking a person a probing question is the wise thing to do. Christ asked Nicodemus and told Nicodemus of his need to be born again. Christ gives, gives the right question in the right time. The one claiming that Jesus is good. Here he needed to show this in his life. What does it mean to be good? Here's what it looks like. Because if you want to go by this good standard... You must keep it perfectly. Now, of course, we do not. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love looks like commandment keeping. That's what it looks like. What does love toward God look like? The first 
commandment, the second commandment, the third commandment, and the fourth commandment. If we have idols, it is hatred toward God. The one who sees Jesus as teacher will follow the teachings of his master. The word here translated teacher in many modern translations in older translations was translated master. Master. And it has an idea of dignity or respect. When I was in primary school and secondary school, you would not dare to use the first name of your teacher. It was always Mr., Mrs., or Miss. And I remember when I was a child and I used the first name of my third class teacher and I got a big telling off by one of my neighbors. It was something you did not do. It showed a lack of respect. When I was teaching English as a foreign language, I was teaching a lot of people from Brazil and they would always call me teacher. It was always confusing to me and I was like, I always thought it was because they, f- they would never remember my name. And then years later, it dawned on me. It was a term of respect. They would always insist in calling whoever was teaching them, teacher. The title means a lot to them. The title brings responsibilities. Outwardly, this person was showing Jesus respect. And if we outwardly show respect, the world expects us Christians to act in a certain way. Don't they? And the world is not often shy to point out when we're inconsistent with our own profession of faith. I say this all because we can think how we live does not matter. As long as we profess Christ, as long as we believe, as long as we're in church, we we may not say this outwardly. But we can slide so easily into this. Or worse, even our children may think that that's what we're saying. The only time we have to be a certain way is in church. This is not true. Even in evangelism, when we're witnessing to people, we almost fear to tell people to follow Christ. That they need to turn from their sin and follow Him. Wherever He will lead you. Oh, no, no, that works, we, we might be thinking. We might get nervous. We, we just say, oh, we'll just trust in him. But when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're turning from the world's standards of living and turning to Christ's standards of living. We, we follow it imperfectly, no doubt. We, we don't follow it perfectly. But this standard is the standard in which we're to follow and strive for With every ounce of our energy. We cannot keep this standard. But. The danger is. There's also another danger. We need to look at now. And this is the danger of this young man. In our text. He thinks he can keep. The commandments. More or less. He thinks I'm not that bad. So we've looked at. Respectability, number two, responsibility. Number three, reality. Reality. What is the reality here? Verse 20. After Jesus has shown him the law of God, 
And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Does this young man understand this? Does he look at the law and say, I am undone. I I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst the people with unclean lips. Does he think like that? Not at all. And there's a sense in which maybe perhaps he has seen them over and over again and thinks, "Ah, I've kind of kept them more or less. Does he see that he has not kept the law of God? Let us remind ourselves of the question that he asks at the beginning. Good teacher, verse 17, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This is for inheriting eternal life. He wants to be sure of inheriting eternal life. Good teacher, tell me how I can be sure. Perhaps he's having some doubts. Is there anything more I need to do to be sure? Now, Jesus at this point could have replied... It's not true that you can do anything. Just believe. And the conversation may have been over very quickly. But Jesus was wiser than that. Perhaps it can be the wise thing to do at times. But but Jesus is showing him after what good is. Calls for him to follow Christ by putting away what he is serving. And shows him the law of God. Does he see? That he has broken the law. Verse 21. Then Jesus looking at him loved him. Loved him. And said to him. One thing you lack. One thing you lack. Now this is not Jesus saying. You have kept everything perfect up until this point. Now is the last point. But one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have. And give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus loved him. This is why this very, very, what we might even call a blunt answer came. He loved him. Sometimes we need to be more forthright. But more blunt, you could say at times. Showing this young man his need. He is testing him. Do you love me? Do you really think I'm a good teacher? The good teacher? Or do you love money and riches? We're told in verse 22, he had great riches. I have kept all these from my youth up. Well, then it should be no problem for you to obey me now and to come And say goodbye to all these things. These these treasures you have, by the way, he could not bring with him into the the world to come. God tested Abraham, if we remember, in asking him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac, in Genesis 22. Verse 2, then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, Whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering. As one on one of the mountains. Of which I shall tell you. Would Abraham serve something else. Other than God. He would waited how many years. Many years for a son. 
His only begotten Son. You see, the thing is, we can turn anything into an idol. A good gift from God, we can turn into an idol. We can turn children into idols. We can turn possessions into idols. We can turn our work, something necessary for putting food on our table, into an idol. This man with all, there's nothing wrong, by the way. Is there anything wrong with having great possessions? Not at all. Not at all. But if they get in the way between you and God, big problem. In, in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon, it can, it can refer to money, but it's not just money. It's property, wealth, earthly goods, anything that you treasure on this earth. You cannot serve God and mammon. And what Jesus was showing him, testing, do you truly follow me? If, this is, if what you're saying is true, then you will gladly sell all that you have. And a treasure in heaven. And to follow the law of God is what it means to follow Christ. It is a heartbreaking reality that can come for many, many raised in religious homes. They read of sin and judgment, but often, as will happen with the Jews in the first century, well, that's not talking about us. That's those people over there. And it's so easy. They can start off with good intentions. But if we look at many of the prophets in the Old Testament, many of those books we think of, Amos and other books like that, Isaiah, books that are very heavy in judgment, are spoken to God's professing people. The church of that day, warning them to repent. There were some to the Gentiles. Nahum was one example. If we think of the book of Romans. The first few chapters is establishing this. Jews. You are not in any way superior. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. Every single last one of us. That's the reality. That's the reality that the law places before us. It should Tell us, yes, a standard to follow, but also a standard we have failed. And also a standard that another has kept in our place, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have broken this law. Just like this religious but lost man. Why does Jesus ask him this question and not just Believe on me. Don't trust in yourself. Well this question exposed. Better than any other. The fact that he didn't want to give up his possessions. Verse 22. And he was sad. At this word. It wouldn't have been enough just to say. Believe. He was blind. He was blind to his need. He thought he was okay. He thought he was fine. Only when you, you see that you are sick in need of medicine, 
Can the healing balm of the gospel be applied? No one is going to seek out a hospital or medicine unless they know that they are sick. Do you see the reality, dear friend? That you are, and I, are, we're all sinners. You cannot keep the law of God perfectly. This law is what is that standard of all who stand before God. This is what righteousness is. And dear friend, you're not good. None of us are good in the way that God is good. The standard of good that Jesus gave was something God alone has. But this is the standard. What may I do to have eternal life? You call me good. This is what good is. It is the law of God. And this is the standard by which you need. If you want eternal life, you need perfect, personal holiness. Without this perfect standard, there is no eternal life. This man, did he expect this answer? Not at all. But he was sad at this word. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. But dear friends, we may miss in our English translation his reaction. It may seem even like a mild reaction. That he was just sad. A bit disappointed. The Greek word has far more. He is in dismay. The, the word gives us in dismay. He's appalled. He's shocked. This Greek word is a sense of being gloomy. Almost like a dark cloud. In bad weather. He is downcast. Could also be translated crest fallen. This message hits him like a ton of bricks. He is not expecting it at all. He loves his riches. He loves his riches. And is it possible, dear friend, that there are some amongst us that will, there's something in your life that you are clinging to, that you are unwilling to let go for the cause of Christ. There's just something there that you are clinging on to. Something, dare I say, you even love more than God. And if that is the case, if that is the truth, then you know at the back of your mind what I am talking about. How are you any different to this man? It's a scary thought. Will you not part with this idol? For the sake of Christ. And finally. Number four. We're going to look at required. Required. So we've looked at the respectability of the man. The responsibility of realizing he's God. The reality that we have not kept the law of God. And then number four. Required. What is required? We have a problem. But what is the solution? Verse 21. The solution is here. Jesus said. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Come, take up the cross and follow me. In, in English, our, the arrangement is a little bit different. 
In Greek, it's literally like this. Come here. Following me. Having taken up the cross. Now, that would be a bit awkward to read in our English Bibles. So it's, it's usually never translated that way. But the sense is, if you come... In following me, you have taken up the cross. That's what it means to come. You put to death self. This is what it means to come to Christ. It costs us something. It costs in this world. It costs our idols. It costs ourselves. The rich man here needed to put to death his idol, and that was the love of riches. For you here this morning, it may not be money. There's other things. It may be something else. But to follow the Savior, to become a Christian, or to be a Christian, it means to deny yourself. Saying no to yourself, what we want, whatever that may be, it is to die. It is to die. And I think because we, there hasn't been a crucifixion in how many years, it was a gruesome form of death. We, we don't have any concept of the horror of seeing a man hang, nailed to a tree for hours on end it it, it was the most shameful humiliating way to die no one thinks you see today we think of the cross as jewelry an ornament something to attach onto something the closest thing we might have today is the electric chair Pick up your cross, to pick up the cross means to walk the road to death, death to self, carrying an instrument of death. Christ died on that instrument of death for the sins of you and I. This was meant to show, and this showed the rich. Man, this rich man, what was required and what it meant to follow Christ. Now, this does not mean every person with great possessions needs to get rid of their wealth and become poor and live in a monastery. This is not what the text is teaching. But, dear friends, if it is an idol, if it is what is getting between you and Christ, do If you have not died to self, you have not come. Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live. I am dead. He lives in me. 
But the message of the cross left him appalled, horrified, shocked, crestfallen. The idolater, the slave, is crestfallen because the the idea of going away from his idol is heartbreaking to him. It, It leads him just in utter abject misery. Because the person needs to be born again. He needs a new heart. He is, he's content with the fallen world. He, he's content to trust himself. His own understanding of things. But the person whose eyes. Have been opened up to his own sin. See relief in this. Oh, oh praise God. It, it doesn't have to do with me. And my performance. Isn't that wonderful, dear friends? Those who are trusting in Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to do with us. Because if it did, we'd have no hope of eternal life. Those commandments listed off by Jesus in our text were kept perfectly by Him. And you see what He's being told. Sell whatever you have, it says in verse 21. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Whatever you give up, dear friends, in repentance, whatever things you remove, you will have a far greater treasure in the world to come. In some ways, you're not really giving up anything. You're exchanging what is perishable for what is imperishable. You are exchanging what will be taken from you anyway at death. For what will never ever be taken from you. Riches that are far greater than anything in this world. Do you see dear friend here this morning. Christ is a good teacher. Oh he is. In every sense of the word. He is good. The moral perfect standard. And we must learn from him. And when we learn from him, it should lead us, as we do this morning, to worship him. It should lead us to a life of obedience, a life of worship. Or, dear friends, does it leave you appalled? You're horrified with the thoughts of turning your back on whatever is keeping you from Christ. Do you rejoice that your efforts are not enough? That his work is enough? Ready and complete to save all will come to him by faith. Know, dear friends, that faith in God is trusting him, serving him alone, dying in him. Come, dear friends. Pick up the cross and follow him. Amen.